0: Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Excited to be with you and really excited about what God wants to do in our community in 2021. Well, today we're going to continue uh, the series, One Word, where the whole idea of this series is that one word from God can change your life forever. And we believe that throughout this series, God is wanting to drop a word in the hearts of every single person, no matter where they are. Maybe a word of insight, a word of direction, maybe a word of uh, encouragement. Maybe it's a word that's specific around a task that God would be asking for you to do. And I really sense God wants to do that because one word from God has the power to change your life forever. So let's keep our hearts, let's keep our ears, let's keep our mind open to what God might want to deposit in us today or throughout this month of January. So how about I pray together as we get into the word. Father, I thank you so much that you are here, that you are moving, that you are breathing and you might feel comfortable just put your hands out before you, kind of like you're receiving a gift from God, taking that posture of surrender and openness. And we say, God, here we are. We are here to receive. We want to hear from you a word, an insight, something to bring direction, maybe some encouragement for the season that we're in. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So I've got a question for you. And the question is this. Have you ever been asked to do something that you were reluctant to do. Excuse me. Obviously too much time with the kids running around. Let's go this way. Let's go that way. Have you ever been asked to do something that you are reluctant to do? Uh, I remember the year was 2005 and uh, I had just completed year 12. And uh, I remember this day so clearly because God spoke to me about something he was wanting for me to do. Pretty much I found myself uh, on a train in the east of Melbourne heading to my part-time job where I was working at Roller City Bayswater as a session DJ, why people would skate around. I know what you're thinking, coolest job of all time, but also a place where you can facilitate love and connection. Just ask Luke and Michelle Ingalls where they met. Maybe Roller City Bayswater is the exact location that they both found love. But we're not going to talk about that today, are we? Because Luke's not here to defend himself. So I'm on the train heading to work, and uh, I feel like God speaks to me really clearly. He says this, Nathan, I want you to write a book. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what? Like, me, write a book. Like, that's crazy. That's That's ridiculous. I thought, no that's no way, that is definitely not God and i 'm looking out the window, maybe I saw a billboard that said, Write a book I 'm looking at my iPod, you know am I listening to songs about you 're an amazing writer? like am I brainwashing myself? like surely this can 't be from God. but once again, I hear, Nathan, I want you to write a book now at this point i 'm thinking this is nuts, like this is crazy this this is Ridiculous! I'm thinking to myself, did God not consult with my English teacher? Because if my English teacher was involved in the process, she would clearly be able to put another five or ten students on God's radar that are more qualified and capable to write a book. Not me. Obviously, hadn't read my school report that says Nathan needs to stop looking out the window and pay attention in class. Stop talking to the students in his area and pay attention in class. Nathan should learn to construct his sentences better. This is in year 12. And pay attention in class. Why would God want to use me to write a book? So then I did what every good person would do and I put it in a journal. I wrote it down, put it in the journal and I put it on my shelf where I did not see it for another 10 years. And that is where it sat. 10 years goes by and I find myself on a a senior high youth camp. And uh, the focus of this camp is all around doing something great for God and like seeking God around key projects that he would have for us to do that could extend his kingdom on the earth. And, you know, I have an amazing time. If you've been on a a youth camp or any type of camp experience or a conference, you know, there's opportunities for extended worship to spend time in God's presence. And I'm having a great time. And I said, God, what is it you have for me? If I could do something great for you, what would it be? And he says, Nathan, I'd like you to write a book. And I was like, oh God, get some new material, get some new content. Like, it's been 10 years. Like, look, I've walked away from it. You should walk away from it. Surely you've been able to find another person that is capable and willing, saying, oh, yes, Lord, the heavens have opened. I'd love to write a book. Surely, God, you have found someone in 10 years to do whatever you need to do. Why me? Nathan, I still want you to write the book. I was like, oh, get some new content, God. But I remember just having this debate back and forth with God. And, you know, if you're on that camp with me, it's like I just had my hands open on the outside. You'd be thinking, gee, Dubsy's having a nice little holy moment there. But on the inside, I'm having this debate. I'm having this argument with God, going, God, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this task that you're asking for me to do. But after going back and forth, after a a period of time, I said, okay, all right. I'll write the book. Happy? Happy? And then from that point, it still took years to actually get going. The process was incredibly slow, but I kept hiding behind some excuses around why I shouldn't have to do what God was asking for me to do. For me not to be obedient to what He was asking for me to do. You know, one of the things that I would use as an excuse back to God, be like, God, have you seen my written grammar? Like, do you have to translate my text messages to people? Like one of the things for me, that I struggle with is being able to communicate everything in my head down onto paper. Now, some people are on my team here, they get to experience that from time to time where they're looking at team communication going, I'm not really sure what he means, but God bless him. <laughs> and that's why I've had some really key people in my life and world, uh, like my wife, Ash, shout out to you, our online pastor that's been able to help articulate what everything is in my head onto paper so that it makes sense to everybody else That is reading it. My brain just thinks at such a rapid pace that I can't translate it all down into a computer or onto patterns. And sometimes, and then I'll reread it. and I'll be like, oh yeah, looks all good, send. Um, but it makes no sense to anyone. Praise God for emojis because then it's open to interpretation along the way. We used to hide behind that, God, you can't use me. Have you seen my written grammar? It can't even make sense. And then I, I just hid behind, God, I've never done this before, so I don't know where to start. And I let these reasons dictate and influence my obedience. Get in the way of me saying yes to what God was asking for me to do. But what I learned is this, that when you're reluctant to do something, it's easy to find an excuse not to do it. And this can happen when you get asked to do something you actually don't wanna do. This can happen when you feel like you don't have the the skills or the capacity to do something. This can happen when you feel fully capable too. You can be reluctant to take on a new task. And in the moments that I have with you today, we're gonna be looking at one man that was super reluctant to do what God was asking for him to do and came up with a series of excuses around why he couldn't do the task, why he couldn't be obedient to what God was asking for him to do. Read this story in Exodus chapter 3, and you can read along with me. We're going to be talking about a guy called Moses. Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 17. And we're going to be reading from the message translation uh, this morning. So I invite you to follow along because I'm going to invite you to highlight key parts of the story. So let me give you the summary of the first seven verses. Pretty much the first seven verses, this is what's going down. Moses is out and about and he is uh, walking. He's looking after his father-in-law's uh, flock and uh, he's walking around this mountain and he sees that this bush is on fire and it catches his attention. And he's thinking to himself, okay, that's, that's a little bit unusual, a single bush on fire, not the whole bush. And he kept looking at it and it's not burning up. So he decided to approach the bush. And as he gets closer to the bush, God calls out to Moses saying, hey, come a little bit closer. Take off your sandals where you're standing is holy ground. And that's when we join the story in verse 7. God said, I've taken a good long look at the affliction of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries for deliverance from their slave masters. I know about all their pain. And now I have come to help them and pry them loose from the grip of Egypt and get them out of that country and bring them to a good land of wide open spaces. The Israelite cry for help has come to me. I've seen for myself how cruelly they are being treated by the Egyptians. It's time for you to go back. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the people of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses answered God, but why me? How about you highlight those words, why me? What makes you think that I could ever go to Pharaoh and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt? Verse 12, I'll be with you. Highlight that too. God said, and this will be the proof that I am the one who sent you. When you have brought my people, the people out of Egypt, you will worship God right here at this very mountain. Then Moses said to God, suppose I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your father sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What do I tell them? Verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God continued with Moses. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. The God, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob sent me to you. This has always been my name and this is how I'll always be known. Now be on your way. You know, Moses was given a significant task to lead the Israelite people out of Egypt and to lead them to a new life of freedom. Now, his immediate response wasn't one of obedience. It's like, oh, yes, Lord, wowee, what an opportunity that I have right now to go and to to free thousands of people. No, his immediate response was one of excuses, coming up with reasons why he couldn't do what God was asking for him to do. The two key ones that we see in this text is this. The first one is, why me? Why me? Now, this is such a common response that anyone can use, regardless of who you are, what you believe. It's easy to use this term, why me? Especially when you get asked to do something you don't want to do. Why me? Why now? And the key reason why Moses is asking the question or even saying, why me, is that he doubts his own ability. He doubts that he will be able to do what God is asking from him. We see it in the text in verse 11. Moses says this back to God, what makes you think that I can do it? Hoping by putting his doubt on God's radar that God will be like, oh, sorry, wrong person. If you could just please leave the bush area, I need to wait for another person to come by and I'm going to light this thing up. So another person could have a moment to take on this task. But The reason why Moses is doubting himself is he's doubting his own ability. He's doubting that he has the ability and the authority to go just be in the presence of Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, this is up. These people are going to leave and I'm going to lead these people out successfully. He's doubting if he has the ability or the authority to even do what God is asking of him. And maybe you're in the room. And maybe, like Moses, God has asked you to do something. Maybe where you are, God has asked you to do something. And your immediate response to God has been, why me? Why now? And maybe like Moses, you would have questions. You would have doubts around, could God actually use you in your workplace, in your family, in your school, in your university, maybe even in your own street, that God could actually use you to do something significant for him. You know, the second excuse around why he couldn't do what God was asking for him to do was all around his self-doubt. We see in the text, Moses says this back to God You want me to go to the Israelites and say, I am the leader and that I will get you out of this mess. What if they don't follow my lead? Seems like a pretty valid question to be asking. Imagine being in Moses' position for just a moment, you know, being sent to a people, a context where they might not know who he is fully or completely. And he comes into the scene and says, hey guys, hey, get, gather around. Hey, um, gee, pretty ordinary situation you're in, eh? I've just been out of town, out on a mountain, had a moment with God. And he said, I'm, I'm your guy. I'm going to be the one. I'm going to pop up to Pharaoh, have a bit of a quick chat. And then, hey, we'll be out of here by lunch. How does that sound? You start to see a little bit about why Moses was starting to doubt his ability. Because imagine being a spectator in that moment, someone who's listening for the very first time. Moses comes into your context. You've never seen Moses. You've never heard Moses before. And he's pretty much telling you, he's the guy that will get you out of here. You know what? I'd be thinking to myself, "Um, who are you? Do you understand where we are? Do you understand the rule and reign of Pharaoh? It's not like, oh, we're finished here. We we don't even have to give two weeks leave. We can just boost whenever we like. It doesn't function like that. Let's take it one step further. Imagine here today, someone walked through the doors that none of us knew. Said, hey, I've been on the other side of Adelaide Hills. G2020 was an interesting year, wasn't it? Hey, if you come with me over the hill, no COVID, you'll never experience it again. There's a land flow, milk, honey, and lots of other good things because it's the Adelaide Hills. Some of you would be like, who is this guy? Some of you would be like, sweet, I'm out of here. Some of you might have questions. Some of you might have hesitations around, well, who is this guy and what is on the other side of the hill that's so good? So you can start to see why maybe Moses was starting to have his doubts and doubt if he was able and to doubt, would these people actually follow my lead? Yet I wonder, What is, or maybe what could be in front of you right now that would make you doubt that you are able to do what God is asking for you to do? Maybe you're just like, I don't have enough time. Don't have enough money. You might feel like you lack the skills, the capability. Or maybe you just go, I'm just not good enough. You can list the names of every other person you think would be more capable to do it. And I wonder what that is for you. So how? How can we move past maybe these excuses that we can make and move towards being people of obedience that say yes to what God is asking for us to do? I think the first thing we can do is trust and believe. Trust and believe believe. Trust that God knows what He's doing. Trust that God knows who He is asking and believing that God will get you to the other side, even when you don't see the whole picture, even when you don't have all the details, regardless of your doubts, your inadequacies, your fears, your uncertainties, all the unknowns, that you would trust and believe. Trust that God has called you and believe that it actually can happen. And I sense, you know, God wants want to speak the words that he spoke over Moses in Exodus 3, over us in Exodus 3, verse 12, when Moses was wrestling with his own doubts, with his own inadequacies. Well, you know what God said to Moses? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. He won't abandon you. He's not setting you up to fail. He is with you. He is present in and through what he is asking for you to do. And you know what, this whole idea of trusting and believing isn't just a once-off transaction where we have that moment with God, where we're inspired and we believe all things are possible. No, it's an ongoing process of trusting and believing, trusting that God spoke to me, God gave me a word, and believing that it can come to pass in the name of Jesus, and it's not a once-off transaction. We actually need to keep coming back to the fact that we need to trust and believe because as we head towards what God has called us to do, You know what, there's going to be moments those doubts will pop up to the surface, those insecurities, those inadequacies, they'll come up to the surface. And you have to remind yourself that God is with you. God is the one that called you there. God is the one that called you to that relationship. God is the one that called you to that location. And God said that he will be with you. And if he can be with Moses, he can be with you too. And I sense there's people in the room today that you're in the middle of what God has asked for you to do. Some of you have been doing it for quite some time. And I sense there's people in the room, even people at home right now that are watching this, that things have got a little bit bumpy and you're questioning, God, is this really what you want me to do? And I sense the encouragement for you today is to stay the course, to not give up, to not run away, not to lose hope, but to stay the course and to keep your eyes up. Keep your eyes and seek His perspective, to seek His insight. The second thing is to start moving. You know, it's one thing to have a moment with God. It's another thing to get going. You see, Moses has this moment with God And it was never designed to be a nice moment on a mountain with a bush, and that's it. Leave it there. Now, it was actually meant to be taken from that place to affect how he lives from that point on. You know, we see Moses throughout that story in Exodus 3 having quite robust dialogue with God. His doubts, his inadequacies are up the front. He's trying to figure out what is this all about? How are we gonna do this? And at the end of this dialogue, God says this, now be on your way. Exodus 3, 16 to 17, now be on your way. Now, when Moses walked away from that bush, he didn't walk away with like a blueprint under his arm. Where he's like, great, got the plan, got the five point strategic plan. I know how to do this. I know the key people that I need to get on this journey. I know how to have the conversations with Pharaoh. He didn't get that. He just got on his way. He walked away from that bush knowing what he needed to do, knowing that he was sent, and knowing that God was with him. And that's it. And as people of faith, God asks us to get going, even when we don't have all the finer details. He invites us to get on our way. And one of the things that can stop us from getting on our way is this whole idea of not feeling ready. I'm not ready for that particular thing. I'm not ready to get on my way. Yet at that moment, when Moses was sent out to get on his way, God was more interested in his obedience than his readiness. And God is more interested in our obedience than our readiness. He's more interested in us saying, yes, God, I will go. I will do. Instead of saying, yes, God, but that's a big task. That's big. I'm gonna go do a course. I'm Googling it. That's gonna take three to five years. So that's three to five. you be like, ah, oh, look, God, I haven't done that. But I heard there was a good book. And, and a podcast. So I'm gonna do the book, the podcast, and then I'll come back. And I think the danger is that we can disqualify ourselves before we even get started. We're the ones that can rule ourselves out, not God. But we can be the ones that rule ourselves out because we say, you know what? I'm not ready. But you know what? As I flick through my scriptures, just like you would too, You come across stories all the time of people that were never actually ready. But God just tapped on the shoulder and said, hey, I've got a task, I've got an assignment. Now be on your way. So what's the first thing you could start to do or continue to do? To start moving towards what God is asking of you right now. And maybe you're sitting in the room, we're talking about, all these things around, what's God, God for us? And maybe your starting point is saying, God, what do you have for me? I don't, I'm not running yet for anything. Maybe today, your one word moment is God telling you or speaking to you around something he has for you. And I think the third thing is to remember what's on the other side of what God has asked for you to do. Whose life could be different? which place could be different because you went? What's the experience other people get because you obediently said yes to God and followed through? What was on the other side for Moses? What was the freedom of thousands of people from captivity into a life that they had hoped for, prayed for, cried out for, for an extended period of time? but what could be on the other side for you? What could be different because you decided to say yes? You know, I remember the process of uh, writing the book and key moments along the way uh, where I wanted to quit. Matter of fact, I got really good at saying, I'm done, I'm finished, I am not doing this anymore even at the point when we're two weeks away from going to print. I'm holding the manuscript in my hand and my wife and I had got really good at reading over all the, the feedback from proofreaders and editors and we're going through the book through, I can't, I can't remember how many times we read that, that thing. But I remember going through and it's starting to get really like minor tweaks along the way. And as I talked about grammar, all this stuff doesn't naturally come to me. So I'm like, why does this person want to put commas everywhere? Like seriously, <laughs> Let it flow. Don't worry about commas. Just let yourself go. But starting to get picked up on all these tiny things, I remember looking at Laura holding the manuscript and said, you know what? Nah, I'm done. And I threw the manuscript across the lounge room. Said, this is crazy. I I don't want to do this anymore. And Laura's like looking at me going, you do know you're nearly at the finish line. I said, yeah, I don't want to do it. Like, who wants to keep reviewing commas? Like, I've got a greater purpose in life then checking comma locations. I said, I can't do it, babe. I just can't do it anymore. It's been so encompassing for for two and a half years. I I just don't want to do it anymore. And just sitting in that lounge room, Laura just reminded me of some conversations that I'd had with people, teachers, students, friends along the way, where a thought and idea had had a significant impact on their life. And she went to bed. And uh, I was like, well, that was nice. Thank you. I just kept looking at the white wall in our land room going, God, I don't, I, don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Even though Laura had really affirmed what we were doing, I just start flicking through my, my phone uh, where I save um, messages of encouragement and things like that in a bit of a not-to-be-self-indulgent dubsy fan mail section, not-to-be-over-indulgent. Um, but just reminding myself of key things that have happened in people's lives but also writing down key moments that had happened in schools with, with students or something that happened with teachers, I write those moments down. I even have notes that were given to me from different educators along the way and started to remind myself that it's actually worth it. And I started to put faces and names in front of me. And went, if they're the only people that read my book, that's, that's enough for me. Two and a half years of work, that's enough for me. But then I started thinking of the names and faces that I had no idea about. And I went, you know what? That's enough for me. And what I, when I continued to think about what was on the other side, it gave me the motivation to keep going, even in the face of my doubts, my inadequacies and my insecurities along the way. So let's recap. How can we move past our excuses that we make and move towards being the people of obedience that say yes to what God is asking for us to do? I think the first thing we need to do is to trust and believe. Secondly, we need to start moving. And thirdly, we need to remember what is on the other side. Yet, if there's only one thing you remember out of everything that we talk about today, about being obedient and saying yes to what God calls you to do, it would be this God's promises trump my excuses. God's promises trump my excuses. So let this year be a year, not of making excuses or putting up excuses in front of God, but actually saying, God, yes, I will go. Yes, God, I will do. Knowing that His promises will always back up what He's called you to do, because His promises trump our excuses. So what happened? the guy that got deeply frustrated. Well, two weeks later, the book finally went to print and it got on its way. And then it was released on the 26th of September, 2018. 13 years after God asked me to do it. And you know what? This book continues to surprise me of the reach and influence that it has in all spheres of society. This book has gone to places that I've never even heard of in Australia. People's names that I definitely don't recognize, but also turned up in parts of the US and the UK. Sometimes I don't even know how it got there. That's all because I finally said yes. So said, yes, God, I'll go. Yes, God, I'll do. Yet I wonder what's possible for you this year. If you say yes, you say, I'll go. And if you do, let's pray together.